Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Great to see all of you uh, today. Great to be back, and uh, we're going to jump right in. I want to tell you a story. It was the spring of the year. It was spring of the year, and it was the time when David's army went out to battle. Now, David was the king of ancient Israel, actually the most powerful and, and still the most famous of all the Israeli kings. But this spring, uh, David did not go out with his army. He stayed home in his fortress palace in Jerusalem. And on a warm, beautiful night, there was nothing, when there was nothing else for him to do, he took a walk in the cool of the evening on the roof of his palace, which was at, the, at a high point in the city, so he could look down upon all of the businesses and all of the other homes and houses and buildings and survey the city. And there he saw a beautiful woman. Her name was Bathsheba. And he sent his servant to find out who she was uh, and was told that she was the wife of Uriah, one of his faithful soldiers, and the most faithful soldiers, actually. And the king immediately sent the servant back and invited her uh, to the palace. Now, that word invited is, is, is a casual word. When the king sent for you, you came, the ultimate authority. It was an abuse of power. She felt she had no choice. He invited her to the palace. He seduced her and sent her home. Now, from what we know about the life of David from the Scriptures historically up until this point, nothing prepares us for this scene. We're caught totally off guard. Nothing prepares us for the episode. It's shocking. It's startling in its power. It's shocking and startling in its tremendous moral and spiritual failure. And then just a few weeks later, the king received a note from her saying, very brief note that just said, I am with child. Now, she was expecting a child. She was pregnant as a result of their encounter. And David immediately, in a panic, in a seek to cover up his sin, sent a message to the front and had Uriah, her husband, uh, brought home under the guise of he wanted a report on how things were going with the army. And um, after his report uh, that he gave and came came and gave faithfully, uh, David said to Uriah, go home to your wife tonight. And then the next morning, to David's dismay, he discovered that Uriah did not go home. He slept outside the uh, the palace gate on the ground Uh, He refused to go home out of loyalty to his king, uh, to his God, and to his fellow soldiers who were still in the battlefield and couldn't come home. Uh, And so because of that, David brought him back the next night and uh, had a feast for him, had him drink a little bit too much, and now said, now, go home to the comfort of your wife. And he still did not do it. David's guilty heart then multiplied sin, compounded sin, and took a, a further step to try to cover it up. And so he, he took uh, 
He took pen and, and paper and he wrote out orders to his field general, Joab, uh, that he was to put Uriah at the front in the heat of the battle, sealed it, gave it to Uriah himself, and had that man carry his own death warrant back to the battle. And so Joab, who was pretty ruthless guy, if you read about him. Well, he's ruthless whether you read about him or not. But when you read about him, you'll discover he's a ruthless guy. He said, sure, here we go. And shortly Uriah was killed in battle. Second Samuel chapter 11 in the scriptures gives us the account of this story. It is one of the most shocking and startling chapters in all of the Bible, the entire Bible. Here's the picture. That little son, that youngest son of Jesse of Bethlehem, the, the, the young man who uh, penned the precious words of the 23rd Psalm, uh, the one about whom the New Testament says called he was a man after God's own heart. That man, that man wove a web of, of sin and deception and wrongdoing and murder so dr- as drastic and horrible and wicked as any person could today, as any person you will hear about on the uh, evening news uh, this, this evening. He had drifted away from God. He had moved away from from God. Now, last Sunday, uh, David Hodge, our spiritual maturity pastor, taught us what to do to guard ourselves against drifting away from God, against moving uh, away from God. Thank you, David Hodge. It was a great, great message. And as, as, I, was, as I was reviewing uh, the lessons he taught us, he gave us three disciplines to practice that will keep us close to Christ, keep us close uh, to Jesus, to help guard us from moving away from God. And then I begin to hear from you. I began to get emails and texts and, and questions uh, in person from, from a handful of you, which usually means it's a common question across the congregation. Well, what do you do if you've already drifted away from God? I'm already away. I found I'm, I'm away. I have drifted. I, I look back and realize I have moved away from closeness uh, to Christ. What do I do? Well, I think that's a darn good question. I think it's a common question, and uh, it's one that I have had, as I, uh, as I mentioned in the email that I sent to all of you on Friday. Um, and, and in fact, this has happened to me over my life, and in, and in one uh, 18-month period, it was a serious drifting away. Now, I'm not talking about before I was saved. I'm talking about when I was a, I was a follower of Jesus. I had already co- answered a call to ministry, and, uh, and for an 18-month period when I was in college, it was a dark period where I intentionally drifted away and found myself in despair, saying, what do I do? How do I come back uh, to God? Or is that you? Is that you? You know, one of the great hymns of the faith has the line in it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Uh, that, that's in us. It's a, there's one of the reasons that the book of Colossians and all throughout Scripture warns those of us who are already followers of Jesus is because we all have the potential for this. Be careful where you stand lest you fall. We all have the potential for this. Uh, Now, my little grandmother didn't call it moving away. She didn't call it drifting away. She called it backsliding. backsliding. That's it. That's a a better picture, isn't it? Here we go. And um, 
And so uh, the question is, how do I come back to God? The good news is, is you can. You can. We've been singing about it. And so I want you to uh, take um, a, a cop- your copy of the Scriptures and turn to the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. The 51st Psalm is King David, penned by King David. It is his prayer. It is his response to his sin that we discover in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, there we find his journey back to God and how he took that. And he gives for us, and God, through this scripture and through the story of David, uh, gives the blueprint, gives the, 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 the map for any one of us at any time who need to come back from God. If your drifting has just been for a day or a week or a month or a decade. And, uh, and we find it there. And so I, I'm going to start a, uh, a five-week journey back to God with you and for you and me uh, in this psalm. We're going we're gonna to take the steps uh, across these uh, next five Sundays uh, back uh, to God. Today we're going to start, we're going to take the first step. And it's found in the first two verses of Psalm 51. This is God's Word. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is God's word. Look at that passage. What we find there is this. David pled with God for his undeserved grace, love, compassion, forgiveness, and cleansing. Right there. He pled with God. We don't use, we don't use the word plead too often, but it's, we use the word beg, don't we? Same word. Same, there's a, we're talking about the attitude with which we come to God when we need to come back to Him. And it's an attitude of pleading. It's an attitude of begging. It's an attitude of uh, in intensity and intentionality and that this is serious business. And so let's unpack this just a little bit. This is the blueprint uh, for any of us at any time when we begin to come back from God. So if you want to come back to God to give you a little, maybe a little rhyme to help you remember the first step, here it is. If you want to come back to God, you must heed your need to plead. Say it with me. Heed your need to plead. That's what David did. He pled for God to take him back. Now, first of all, he pled with God to take him back even though he knew he did not deserve it. That's important. He knew it was undeserved. Write down the word in your notes. Undeserved. Undeserved. And so if you and I want to come back to God, we must do the same thing. We must plead with him, beg for, uh, to come back, knowing that we don't deserve this. It is undeserved. Now, notice there, first of all, he, he begged with God, pleaded with God for his amazing grace. The, the phrase there is, be gracious to me. Now, that little word, that, that phrase, be gracious, comes from one Hebrew uh, word that has two implications. This is very important. Jot this down. Here's what it means, first of all. It, it was always used to speak of someone, who, uh, an inferior, coming to someone who is superior. Be gracious to me. It was always used uh, in the ancient text 
uh, of some of an inferior who was coming to someone superior, usually vastly superior to them. And so David understood, even though he was king, even though he was the king of Israel, that he was an inferior coming to a superior when he came to God. When he came to God. He, he came with a sense of frailty. He came with a sense of mortality. He, can, he did not come eye to eye. You know, sometimes I'll talk, I'll talk to one of my buddies where I grew up, and he, he's stiff-arming God still, and he'll, he'll always say, well, me and God understand each other. And I'm, I'm going to say, I'm sure God understands perfectly well. But I'm not sure you do. It's like we're me and God. We okay. We okay. We're buddies, you know. We it flippantly called the man upstairs and the big guy. And come on, come on. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not flippant. It is. It is a. It is an overwhelming sense of I am inferior coming to superior. I am me coming to the king. I have no standing here. I have no standing here. I do not deserve this. Second, this phrase translated be gracious is always used uh, for someone who, who pleads for mercy knowing they have no claim. It's always used to describe someone pleading for mercy knowing that they have no claim. Now, David recognized he had no claim on God. He didn't, he, 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 God did not owe him this. Uh, you students of literary history will remember Oscar Wilde, the famous literary figure of the 19th century, was, was caught in an act of public humiliation. And as he was being carted off to prison, he famously made a, this flippant comment, well, God will forgive me. He has to. That's his business. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. No, no. But we do that. Well, God will forgive me. It's his business. God will just... I can't tell you the number of times over almost 50 years of ministry, people will sit in my office and tell me that they're going to walk away from a marriage or a church or some sin that they just, I'm going to do this. And what, you know, God will just have to forgive me. God will just have God. What? What? He'll just have to. It's the opposite of this. We have no claim on God. <laughs> We can, we can demand nothing from God. We are inferiors reporting to a superior. And so if we want to come back to God, we must first come, as this first word indicates, when we come to God asking for mercy and forgiveness, we come as an inferior to a superior who has no claim on that superior. In other words, the word undeserved is a good term. Undeserved is a good, good term. And also... Uh, we not only pray for this amazing grace, but number, but second, uh, David pled, begged God, trusting in his faithful love. Jot that down. Trusting in his faithful love. He, here's the phrase, according to your loving kindness. Now that word translated loving kindness there can also be translated according, watch this, to your promised love. You, the, 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 David said, there, in your word you have promised your um, unending love that is beyond my, my comprehension here. And so when David came to God, he wishing to come back into a good relationship with God, he not only begged for his grace, but he said, Lord, remember me according to your promised love for me. I'm, I'm counting on your love that I don't deserve. 
I'm counting on this, this love that we've been singing about that is beyond our comprehension. How, we can't grasp how high and how deep and how wide and how long is the love of God toward us in Christ Jesus. That's why we sing about it all the time here and I preach about it all the time here and try to beat it into your head and my head all the time. Because it's, it's, we, the, the, the more we can grasp it, the more we will love him. Because we realize, whoa, I, he loves me this way and I don't deserve it. The scriptures say in another place, we love him because he first loved us. That's what that means. We love him back when we realize his love. Now, David had not seen this yet, but you and I on this side of the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we look back on the love of God 2,000 years this side of the cross of Christ. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His love, this promised love toward us in this, in that while we were still sinners, undeserving, He died for us. He died for us. And so we, we, we pray, based, we measure His compassion by His death on the cross and are flabbergasted by it. And so if you want to come back to God, beg for His grace, His love, and knowing that we don't deserve it, and also for God's compassion. David said it this way in verse 1, Be gracious to me according to the greatness of your compassion. Now this word translated compassion here in, uh, in the Old Testament is a uh, Hebrew word. It is the plural form uh, of the word for womb. Uh, I said, wow, that's strange. Well, no, it's not when you understand the meaning. It refers to the yearning. It refers to the strong feelings that an expectant mother would have for her unborn child beneath her heart. I've witnessed that two times with my wife, Allison. I've witnessed it with my daughter. I've witnessed it with some of you from a distance. But we men, we witness it, but we don't, we don't get it fully. We wish we could. It's a mystery to see how the, an expectant mother yearns with deep, heartfelt, literally feelings for that unborn child beneath her heart. And um, that's the word for God's compassion here. It means, it means the strong feelings, the deep yearnings that God has for you and me. David called upon that, Lord, I, re- I believe in your compassion for me, even in the sorriness and the sorry state in which I am. And he's saying, in spite of what I've done, I know you feel for me as strongly as a mother cares for the unborn life that grows in the secret place beneath her heart. The, the, it could, uh, the word could be translated deeply stirred and moved. It, when God thinks of you, he thinks about you all the time. So I don't believe it. Well, I don't care. He can think about you whether you believe it or not. He thinks about you all the time. And when he thinks of you, he feels it in the gut is what it says. It hits him in the gut. He is deeply stirred and moved over you. So well, nobody's ever felt that way about me. No human being maybe, but God does. Your Lord and Savior Jesus feels that way uh, about you, no matter your condition. And so, if you've been, if you have moved away from God, we must beg for God, trusting in these three realities about God, what we learn uh, about Him. Lord, I don't, do, I don't deserve Your love. You don't owe me, but I'm trusting in Your faithful love shown on the cross for me, and I'm counting on the fact that You have a personal yearning and compassion for me. And so, in light of these things, I'm asking You to forgive and cleanse me. Does that make sense? 
Okay, that's where we're starting. That's where we're starting here. And so if, if you want to come back to God, then we must also heed our need to plead for the forgiveness and cleansing. Now let's talk about that a second. Look at verse last part of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. He prayed this. Take a look at it on the screen. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's what David prayed. Now, there are two dimensions here in this prayer uh, that, that we, we must pray and be aware of. You ready for this? First one is outward. Second is what? Inward. Inward. The outward is blot out my transgression. The in, second is inward, wash me and cleanse me. Blot out my transgression out there, up there. Inward, uh, wash me and cleanse me. Now, let's talk about that first aspect first. You ready? Let's talk about outward, outward. King David knew that God keeps books. God keeps score. Now, we in our culture today have a tendency today to laugh and make jokes about the notion that there is a God who is keeping score, but he does. He does. All through the Scripture tells us he's keeping score. Uh, Do you remember when you were in elementary school and the teacher would tell you, that's going to go on your permanent record? (laughs) Golly, he is a... Fourth grader, that struck fear in my heart. It was worse than the dreaded electric paddle that was told to be in the principal's office. You may have electric. I mean, that's what they, some guys swore to me they'd been on the receiving end of the electric paddle. Yeah, I don't, I never saw it. It didn't exist. But that, this is going to go on your permanent record. There are times I've been wanting to crawl back into Bremen High School on night and find my permanent record and get rid of that thing, whatever, whatever it is. You might have that same need and uh, uh, permanent. But here's what David was praying. We, we must be aware that our lives leave, leave a mark. Our lives leave a record. And David is praying in this passage when he says, blot out my transgressions. He's saying, Lord, up there, out there in your record, would you blot out the record, my permanent record? Would you blot this out in my permanent record, the real permanent record? And so the words suggest uh, something written on wax tablets or clay tablets. And again, I look around, I see a couple of accountants in here, CPAs. Uh, He's back to God's accounting. It's an accounting term there and the way they kept record credit and records of debt were on wax tablets or clay tablets and uh, when the debt was paid in full uh, the accountant or, or or the creditor would take their thumb or a stylus and, and literally in the wax or the clay blot out the record of the debt wipe it was it wipe it clean see where that comes from That's where that comes from. That's what David is praying. He said, now, Lord, out there, up there, according to your grace, according to your promised love, according to your great compassion for me that I do not deserve, would you blot out the record of my transgression? There's an outward uh, aspect to our coming back to God. And, and Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that Jesus has, watch this, has canceled or blotted out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us and which uh, was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Yay. 
That's, that'd be a good place right there. Yay. 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 And, uh, and so w- when we wish to come back to God, up there, out there, we need to say, Lord, I, I know you have a record. I, I'm trusting you. I don't deserve it. Would you wipe my record clean according to your grace? So that's not fair. That's not just. Oh, sure it is. Because justice has been paid. The price has been paid on the cross. He's, we're saying, would, would you credit to my account your grace? That you, what you did when you died for me in my place for my sin on the cross. He, he satisfied his own demands of justice. That's good news. That's good, good, good news. But that's not enough because I don't live out there, up there where God's record book is. I live down here and in, in here, in, uh, in the here and now. And so there's also an inward dimension of this cleansing. Look at verse 2. David prayed, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now this word, this is, this is, these phrases mean to wash with multiple washings in an intensive way. I mean, it paints the picture here of the Hebrew uh, washerwomen who took in clothes and went down to the stream and washed and washed and pounded and pounded and pounded and kneaded and kneaded the clothes over and over and over again to make them clean, in intensive way. It, it expresses David's radical, relentless need to be cleansed thoroughly. Wash me, God. Cleanse me. And God did it. And God did it. David begged for God's forgiveness and for God's cleansing. And so if you want to come back to God, then we must call our problem what God, what David called it. And what did he call it? Sin. He had three words there. What are they? Sin, transgression, iniquity. Let's talk about it. He called it what it was. David didn't say, oh, Lord, I made a mistake. He didn't say, Lord, I am a mistaker. What did he say? I'm sinner. Oh, I've made a ter- even sometimes we've made a terrible mistake. No, mistakes are things we do by accident, unintentionally. Sins, we line up and just and here we go. We take a running start. He called it transgression. Now, transgression. We don't use that word often today, but think of the word rebellion. Transgression, this, this word for sin means, carries with it the idea of rebellion. I have rebelled against you, God. I have rebelled against you. He did not minimize what he had done. He said, God, I have rebelled against you. Iniquity describes something that is twisted and needs to be straightened out. And it speaks of the effect that sin has not only on all of creation, but on your heart and my heart is a person that inside of us, our sin has twisted us so that we don't function just right any longer. Our mind, our will, our emotions, how we relate to people, our bodily tendencies, or even our bodily desires get wayward, and we begin to declare them normal, and they're not. They're not. And... Um, and so it, it speaks of something that needs to be straightened out. In other words, David was saying, this is not just something that I did. It's something that I am. Something's wrong with me. I need straightening out on the inside. I need fixing on the inside. I need your grace to straighten me out. And then he called it sin. Now, the sin was a, an archery term, sine. It was an archery term, and it described the, the distance of error between the bullseye on the target and where the arrow hit. The margin of error. I have missed 
the mark. But, but sin means, David said, oh, I didn't just mess up and miss the mark because nobody's perfect. He's saying, I missed the mark on purpose. I missed the mark on purpose. I did this intentionally. And so what did God do when David pled, begged for God's grace and love and compassion and then for his forgiveness, the washing away of sin, the blotting out and cleansing, the straightening out and cleaning up on the inside. Well, take a look at this quote. St. Augustine, the bishop of Hippo, said it this way, Those words were not even out of David's mouth when God had forgiven him. I ran out of that grave. I see people with shame on their faces. I recognize it. I see some of you, you have shame and guilt. You're carrying it unnecessarily. I was with somebody I love dearly this past week. They even kind of walk with it unnecessarily. They don't have to stay that way. Um, you say, you, you don't have to pay the debt for what you did unless you just want to. How are you liking it? Are you enjoying that? You can instead live with the life of joy that we expressed in the opening song. Jesus calls our name. We come to him pleading based on his grace and mercy and love and compassion and repentance, owning what we really did. I rebelled. I twisted things up. I've sinned. I've missed the mark, and I did it all on purpose, and I don't deserve this forgiveness and God says forgiven cleansed and it might even make an old stiff white guy want to get up here and run around like these singers I ran out of that grave I want you to run out of that grave I want you to run out that's where the change comes and do, do you look back and say wished I'd never done that sure I wish yeah I wish but it's paid for, it's cleansed, the record's blotted out. God will remove your sins as far away as the east is from the west. He will remember your sins no more. He will plunge them in the depths of the sea. Your sins which were scarlet, he will make as white as snow. And you look back on those things and all it does now is remind you of God's grace and great love. So, come back. Let's pray. Come back. I'm going to speak to those of you who are Christians who now are in a condition like I was one time. I drifted away. I mean, you're a child of God, but you're a disobedient child of God, and you've, you've rebelled. And so why don't you take a second and go through these first steps? Plead with God. Plead with God. Beg Him. Lord, I trust I'm coming to you. I don't deserve this. I do not deserve it at all. I'm coming to you as an inferior to a superior, knowing that I have no claim on you. But I'm asking you to be gracious to me. Give me your grace. And I do this 
trusting in your promised love for me, your unfailing love as demonstrated by you, Lord Jesus, on the cross in dying in my place for my sin. And according to the greatness of your heartfelt compassion for me personally, then I make a step of faith. I pray that out there, up there, you would forgive my rebellion. And name it. Tell him what it was. Tell him what it was. Lying, coveting, adultery, stealing, having other gods before him. Who knows? Just name it. Don't, Don't minimize it. Come clean with him. He already knows it. Come clean. Come clean. Name it just quickly. Some of you may do a, need to do a whole lot of naming. It may need more time than this five-minute prayer. Well, then take this afternoon. Arrange with your spouse, with your children... Spend the afternoon alone with God and say, Lord, I'm going to name all this stuff. I'm going to get, let's do this. I want to run out of this grave of shame and guilt. And now ask Him for His forgiveness. Out there, up there, Lord, blot out the record. And I will believe that you have, and I'll live like it a debtor to your grace. And Lord, I pray that inward now that you'd reach inside of me and wash me and cleanse me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, all that stuff that my sin has twisted up in me that doesn't work right, my heart, my emotions, my mind, my values, even my bodily tendencies, temptations. I'm asking you to straighten me out. And I'm asking you to cleanse me. My sins which were scarlet, make them white as snow. And I will be forever grateful for the cross. Forever grateful for your mercy, your love, your grace, your compassion that has resulted in restoring me to a relationship with you. Now I ask you to grant me the power of your Spirit to be at work in me, both to desire and to do what pleases you from this point forward. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.